was drawn to it, but I'm torn. I mean, as a filmmaker, I liked it. As a fan, I was disappointed. And I really feel it was an insider movie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Sweat, your favourite show for news reviews and film interviews in the podcast category, where we bring you all of the best of our categories and segments that include Hot Topic, Dom's Docs, Trailer Talk, Cult Film, Cult TV and much, much more. Now we are going to bring you our latest segment, which is called Stream Team, where we look at new feature films that have previously been at the cinema and are now available to watch on your streaming platform. Today, I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined by our regal and reputable presenter, King Dom. Thank you, TJ. Always a pleasure. So, King Dom, we are going to be watching something brand new called The French Dispatch. But our foreign policy is now going to allow us to bring another guest podcaster from across the shores. So please welcome to the episode... Anne Kimbrough from the iScary podcast. Welcome aboard. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This is fun to be here. I, I feel like I get to travel internationally, at least with my voice. Yeah. We, we're just going to check your passport at the gate and then you'll be free to <laughs> clear international waters. But thank you for joining us. I feel that this project is going to touch on some particular points that you're interested in because you're actually a screenwriter yourself and the French Dispatch is somewhat of a love letter by the director to writers in general. So could you tell us a bit more about how perhaps you've used your writing for the premise for your own podcast? I came through podcasting through being a screenwriter with no control. <laughs> I have I need hundreds of people to come together to to make my work be seen by people but a podcast I can do by myself and that's been really fun to create it produce it on a professional level and actually have it out there and say hey you can go listen to this <laughs> what happens on the I scary podcast well we cover two strange weird or freaky news stories every episode and we get into the story so you feel it with sound effects and then we discuss uh, in commentary about the news like do we believe this uh, is it real I mean it's in the news so it should be real but we we get into why how people could get so crazy and we're just coming out of an era of fake news so it's hard to see the uh the wood from the trees some of the bigfoot stuff that that one we do kind of debunk <laughs> supposedly there are clusters in our, our national parks and do you take your stories from newspapers yes i don't know how reputable but plenty um some from the daily mail <laughs> oh wow okay or so the... not that reputable then <laughs> okay <laughs> but if it's a news source we will use it yeah, we call it the daily fail over here in the there UK. There you go. But speaking of newspapers, without further ado, we're going to talk about the French Dispatch. Now, Excellent. did you guys know what this film was about before you heard about it, before it came onto your watch list? I saw the trailer, so I had a good idea that it would be a film about a newspaper. And if you've seen the trailer you know immediately that it's a Wes Anderson film because what you get right off the bat is the signature visual style mm. the camera placement the colors mm. and his stock company of actors sure. and on top of that 
you get the idea that it's a period film, it's a film about journalism and writing, mm. which is, weirdly enough, that's a strain that runs through a lot of Wes Anderson films. Yeah. Even going back to something like Grand Budapest Hotel, there's a little montage of newspapers in that. Mm. So, Anne, what were your first impressions of, or your first contact with The French Dispatch? I just heard that it was in a new Wes Anderson, and I love him. I love the, the Grand Budapest Hotel, and I... I completely wanted to see it. I was excited uh, because I hadn't seen it yet. I was waiting. I, I, I'm also a, a, in the SAG uh, Actors Guild. So I, I get to vote on stuff. And I was hoping it was going to be nominated. So I get it as one of my screeners. But I didn't. So I was really happy to actually pay for it. Uh, well, thank you for paying for it. Uh, we <laughs> no have no we've, uh, realized that some of our... Uh, stream team selections are free on some platforms and to pay on other platforms but this seems to be one that's definitely worth it because it's a homage to uh, writers and some of them have included famous writers such as uh, Harold Ross, William Swan and a few ladies in there as well such as Catherine White and Lillian Ross who are there's some kind of amalgamations of their characters built into the characters that Wes Anderson has used so I'll try and say a little bit about what the French Dispatch is about. So this is a, a 2021 film. It's actually set in an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in something called the French Dispatch magazine. And we seem to be going through a short series of vignettes or three specific stories which are going to speak to the history of this magazine and the people who've worked for it. What did you feel about going back in time with this particular type of story? I think it's something that Wes Anderson has done previously where he does stories that have kind of multiple strands and multiple times. And in a way, this felt like it was a development of that, almost a culmination of that, because this film seems like a real memorial to print, yeah. print media, because newspapers as physical things are sort of dying out yeah and even the fact that one of the sections of the little vignettes is called obituary the whole thing feels like he's saying well that's the end of print but i'm gonna pay homage to it before it goes yeah thank you internet you can pat yourselves on the back for that <laughs> so and what did you think about um the, the type of story wes anderson chose to tell this time around um, I was drawn to it, but I'm torn. I mean, as a filmmaker, I liked it. As a fan, I was disappointed. And I really feel it was an insider movie. So, I mean, it was really a love letter to the New Yorker magazine. And if you knew the New Yorker magazine really, really well, which I don't, uh, you would understand the writers he chose, you understand the, the direction he took in each other vignette. So I, I feel like the rest of us that maybe aren't, haven't read every New Yorker magazine or studied and read about all the authors that were, or the journalists, I think we missed a lot. Our particular WhatsApp group for Geek Sweat, we've recently come across a New Yorker article featuring uh, Jeremy Strong and how similar his character may or may not be to the, the character he plays, Kendall, in HBO's TV series Succession. So there's a kind of a playing around with reality 
of he is actually yeah. Kendall more than he's an actor trying to put on the mask of Kendall. Whereas I'm not sure if the New Yorker is really trying to subvert journalism or if it's really about, um, let's say, mavericks, maverick writers in the industry. What do you think? I think the New Yorker, as I understand it, is like the considered to be in the US like the gold standard of intellectual literary journalism mm. that kind of strand yes, of journalism I lived in New York for like three years and I still wouldn't have picked up a New Yorker magazine it's just so specific to the east coast that they're more literate and they're more into it all and I'm more west coast where I'm more laid back and like okay guys you worry about it I'm gonna go have fun but <laughs> Wes Anderson is not from New York. I think, I believe he's actually from Texas. I imagine him yeah. as a teenager in Texas with his subscription <laughs> yeah. to the New Yorker, yeah. getting it every month and imagining this world of impossible sophistication. Yeah. Where people go yeah, to soirees. Fish out of water or something. Yeah, he's like the I least agree. likely Texan ever. But there you go. Yeah. I mean, the there thing is, he, it's nice to see Wes Anderson has got a very specific style, which is probably unfamiliar to your typical Texan. And I think he's got, to, and I don't mean that as an insult in any way, sorry if there's any Texan fans with any sensitivities. He likes to take a poignant look at nostalgia and history, and he seems to like reminisce about the odd styles of early filmmaking. So I always feel like watching a Wes Anderson film is like going into a museum, and there is literally a museum in this film. So you can kind of look at the archives of how films were made and how people with a slightly different perspective were just trying to do something different in film. I like that about his films. I mean, you know you're watching a Wes Anderson film and so that it doesn't disappoint in that way. Visually, it was stunning. Um, logically, it was confusing. <laughs> I was thinking if it had been like uh, something on HBO, a limited run series, I think I would have liked it more because I would have accepted it in little bits and pieces. Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's always dangerous to kind of do that film with vignettes and try to tie all of these loose, disparate stories together. But I think he's always had loose, disparate characters, at least with different <laughs> motivations in his previous films. So it feels like he's been building up to this, uh, particularly when you think of things like Fantastic Mr. Fox and um, Isle of Dogs as well, which was purely animation. But he's getting a, this kind of eclectic cast together to do fantastic things and tell fantastic stories yeah i feel like there's a spectrum for his work <laughs> and where you fall in it whether it's experimental or commercial that's where you'll be happier <laughs> so do you feel did you enjoy the movement of the way his film runs in terms of his uh vertical access horizontal access and uh panning back and forth in the way he tells the story because every scene he does in his film is almost about telling or giving direction isn't it i think you're right he has such a point of view it's like you have to watch it more than once i want to see it a second time i didn't have a chance when i first watched it i think i'll i'll like it better the second time around and i'll see different things and most filmmakers don't make films like that they're, they're just commercial they're action films which i like as well but you, it, it's for someone that doesn't mind second viewings and learning more the more they watch it. I mean, I've got the impression that this film was also trying to remind us of maybe some talented writers from the past. 
But uh, especially when you think about who he may have liked and who he was likening him to. I mean, there was one vignette which I think was called um, The Private Dining Room, which featured, I think it was Jeffrey Wright, who was playing a character called Roebuck Wright. But mm -hmm. it wasn't until halfway through that story that I realised, oh, this is starting to sound a bit like James Baldwin. And every time James Baldwin has appeared in his interviews, because it's it, there was this kind of the reminiscence of um, smoking indoors, uh, men talking to men about manly things, and uh, just kind of long pontificating uh, conversations. Like, you just don't see that in film anymore, do you? I think they paid homage to all those writers and journalists that they don't seem to exist anymore because they, so they don't write. It's different when we just hear them talking. I don't feel anyone could have, anyone else could have made this type of film. I mean, Dom, do you think there's anyone who's even coming close to doing this type of telling of story and particularly the subject matter as well? No, I feel like this is a very Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson film. This might even be the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson film. <laughs> yeah. With a so, smattering of Jason Schwartzman on the top to give it yes, some flavor. as a bonus. Yeah. yeah. So no, nobody else could have made this. Nobody else. And um, for better or worse, it is all the things that you would expect. It's literary. It's um, packed with incident. Like you said, it's quite disparate. Yeah. There are different strands. The strands don't hold together in the classical sense. I'm sure Anne will know more about this than we do because, yeah. Anne, you're a screenwriter. Okay. So Yeah, it breaks. It's very experimental. Okay. Well, we can give one or two spoilers away. I mean, what would the unusual scenes for you in this film gosh everyone <laughs> oh god the whole thing in the prison there, uh, <laughs> the whole thing in the museum <laughs> it was just full of a visual and he broke his own some of his own visual rules which i liked seeing i know some people didn't because he went and did a, a whole black and white or less color and he's known for being very colorful Obviously, there was a lot of that, too, but he actually tried something different. And there was a cartoon. Uh, the animation I I liked. Yeah, I think he was a bit naughty with how he used He flicked <laughs> from black and white to color because I think there were sometimes he was showing black and white to show this is the emotion of the actual character. It's not actually me doing uh, uh, a tone. And then sometimes he went to black and white to say, OK, this is someone talking in the past. I thought that was useful. Yeah, and I think there was one moment where um, I think uh, Adrian Brody plays a character called I think Julian Cadazio who purchases a painting and he goes from black and white to color as he flips or unveils the cloth to reveal the painting to his um I think his two uncles who own this kind of gallery uh, or procurement business for the art world so I thought he was um very cheeky about when he he slapped the color palette on his film I agree I liked it I thought it added something which is why you should do it in film. It adds to it, not just for the fun of it or something. All the things you mentioned, just the fact it's so playful in some ways. Yeah. And I love the thing with the painting. That yeah. was, I like transitions from black and white to color, as long as they're justified or they're interesting. And yeah. that, that, was, that was a really nice moment. It's, it's full of little moments. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a moment film, I think. It's the kind of thing you would see and then... Mm -hmm a month later not necessarily remember what connected all the episodes together but you'll have just have snapshots little visual memories of it this film it actually goes back to uh full frontal nudity 
And I was wondering, what was your opinion of how it was used and was it tastefully used in this way? Because it was it was literally in the context of art in both occasions where one person was the model and I think the other person was somebody talking about their relationship with the artist. Hmm. It was interesting. I don't know. It's it's not the thing that jumps out for me in this film. So how do you feel as a guy watching that? Do you know what? I think it's been a long time for me to see a film portray a naked woman without the specific sexual element attached to it. Like we're about to make love. We're about to go into a shower. There's going to be sexual tension between two characters. It was just like it's very asexual. Yeah, probably it's just a naked body. Yeah, yeah. It was just, and I think it it almost felt like um, partially an appreciation of the female form because there was this kind of art element to it. And um, I think Benicio del Toro is playing a character called Moses Rosenthal, which is kind of a very improbable name, who's doing a very improbable thing, who's being like a, a world-renowned, acclaimed artist from the confines of his own prison, and he somehow managed to. Uh, improvise with like materials that he can find in the prison like I think it was pigeon's blood feces and egg yolk to kind of make gross. these masterpieces <laughs> yeah but but the things I think it was it was a nice way to go from the ridiculous to the absurd uh, even to the point where he was trying to declare his love to his muse who at some point actually electrocuted him to kind of make him come to his senses <laughs> Instead of slapping him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her reactions to him, too, were also absurd yet interesting. <laughs> One part of the absurdity was, like, he was saying things in English and she was responding in French, which I thought was pretty funny because it felt like everybody, every actor was getting their own, uh, like, set piece performance, as it were. It, it also, at some points, it, did it feel like to you that each actor was getting a chance to do a series of monologues, perhaps? Definitely. I mean, I think if you have those that caliber of actor, you have to give them a moment. Otherwise, why would they? Why did you have them there? But I felt with those characters, it ha they had a dance. So each of them did something, and there was a response to it, and they kept upping the level of what was happening. So that was sort of fun to see. Did you like the dance that they were doing together, uh, Dom? All of these different and new and interesting actors. You always get that with Wes Anderson, don't you? He has his stock company and every single actor has their moment in the spotlight. Mm. Even if they have one or two lines, it's going to be memorable. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that he does. He kind of lovingly assembles the actors and then he gives them something to really get their teeth into. So this one was kind of no exception in that way. Yeah. And yeah, I'm... that is one of the big things that I like about a Wes Anderson film. Okay, so what about cameos? What was the best cameo for you in this film? Ooh. One didn't stand out. Is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, Willem Dafoe as the accountant. Did you like his cameo? Because he, he was very briefly in this film. Every actor that you bring in, you know they want to be there because of Wes Anderson and the other actors they bring in. So some of the people had such small parts, um, but they're more than cameos to me. You know, they, he does give him still a moment, and, which is nice. I think there was um, one interesting moment. I, I'm trying to remember the actor's name, but uh, it was, I, I want to say Antoni Rivalori. But there was a, a moment where we get to see the young Moses Rosenthal. And it's played by quite a uh, prolific actor 
who I wish I could find his name, but he was getting to play the moment of Moses Rosenthal when he was younger, uh, when he was hanging out with his uh, different groups of people. And at one point, his mental health issues, which, which was literally him painting a version of himself uh, with the actor in like three or four different places in the frame. So I thought that was quite clever. I like the transition they did between those two actors to show them going back to the older actor. You know, they did it with both actors and they were very tender with each other. So that was really unique. It's kind of like a passing on of the baton rather than just like, we're going to exactly. just do a quick cut to go to the, from and one scene to the next. And how they looked at each other. I mean, there was like a loving look of your older self looking at your younger self. It was touching. I was, that was unexpected. For me, when I was watching it, it felt like because he, because they were both in the prison at the time, it was almost like a tinged sense of regret of um, the older version, wishing he could have said something to the younger version before he ended up in the circumstances that he was in. I'd like to know how much of that came out of the just the actors getting into the moment, because I don't think that was scripted. You can't write that. You can't write and say, look at each other, look at your old, young self long longingly. I think it just came out of those actors and the director just living in that moment on film, which is pretty magical. I mean, I'm just thinking with, with the set pieces, like in such a specific and structured way, it just feels like the actors, we get more time to kind of rehearse and develop and do slightly different things with the characters on the set. What do you think, Dom? Yeah, I think that's always an aspect of good direction is to be like alive to the little moments that come out. Mm. And with actors of that caliber, they'll always be giving you something extra okay. than what's written on the page. Sure. And that's what this film does. It lets the actors run with those lines, mm -hmm. those very complex lines and put the extra things in the little moments mm -mm -mm. the little looks if you was to recommend the french dispatch to anybody um right now what type of person do you think would watch it or what type of person in your life do you think needs to see this film it's that's an interesting one i it was actually watched by a friend of mine who i didn't think would like it at all because he's a big action movie guy, doesn't okay. like too much complexity. Fast and the Furious. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> and he absolutely loved it, and he was raving about it yeah, for like yeah. days afterwards. Mm. So I think he was just overwhelmed by the visual richness and the moment-to-moment -moment pleasures that you get from the film. Yeah. So I think um, somehow this film can transcend what we would think about who would normally enjoy it and I guess you know maybe we're being a bit hard on it because we've seen Wes mm. Anderson's other films and it's maybe not his best best film it doesn't quite hit the heights of something like Grand Budapest Hotel yeah yeah but yeah. that doesn't mean that it's not a very good film in its own right yeah yeah someone coming afresh to this film who's never seen any Wes Anderson films will get mm. the magic for sure sure <laughs> well <laughs> More recently, people have been going bananas, as it were, about the fact there's been three Spider-Men in the same Spider-Man film, and Andrew Garfield and uh, Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland have got to share the same scene and screen time. And I'm thinking, if you're fascinated by seeing these kind of behemoths, as it were, in screen, like you've got Bill Murray, Timothy Chalamet, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, Adrian Brody, Francis McDormand, Benicio Del Toro, uh, Matthew Almaric, like you've got this caval, and even not to mention Edward Norton, Lee Schreiber, Jeffrey Wright, you've got this kind of cavalcade of cast members, Leah Seydoux, 
uh, I've got, I really get trouble with this name, so I'm going to try and mess it up as best as I can. Cersei Ronan. Is it Saoirse? Saoirse Ronan, thank you. And uh, Jason Schwartzman. And it's like, you've got so many of these actors on screen at the same time. It's actually a pleasure to see, and Tony Revolori was the guy who plays the younger uh, Moses. Do you know what was a really random cameo? The Fonz. Yeah, that one too. Just there's no end. There's no end to it. There's no end. But there's who is your random? My random cameo was Jarvis Cocker. He's the oh, voice yeah. of the French pop singer. He was tip top, wasn't he? Yeah. And I, I only noticed that when I looked at the uh, end credits. Did you notice that, Anne? No. I mean, I might have in a moment. I don't remember it. When the uh, Timothy Chalamet's Zafrelli is playing the jukebox in front of his kind of antagonist, soon-to-be-loved Juliet, played by Lena Kudry. There's a moment where I think the back, the back wall or the fourth wall is taken away and they're right. just leaning against the jukebox, listening to TikTok because they've, they've been arguing about whether he's uh, a prolific artist or he's a puppet for the proletariat, as it were. And the voice that comes out of a jukebox is the voice of Jarvis Cocker. Oh, wow. From okay. the band Pulp. Yeah, and also Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, See, another callback. Yeah. yeah. So for, for it's you... like hidden Mickey's at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Anne, who would you recommend this film to, or who do you think needs to see this that you know about? Well, I wouldn't recommend it to my father. <laughs> But, you know, anyone that loves film and doesn't have to have car crashes wouldn't mind a little experimental, but wants something for the eyes, wants their eyes to go, oh, my gosh. I mean, I really think this should be seen on the big screen. Definitely. I think the pandemic may have interrupted the screen of this because this was a film that was due out to Um, come in, I think, the January 2021, because I think we reviewed it as a trailer talk uh, a little while ago. But I think it's got that kind of classic vibe to it that I think if there's a rooftop cinema or there's a kind of a classic Uh, movies rescreening, I think it would just be a cool thing to kind of go back and watch, you know. Exactly. Well, and if you loved any of Wes Anderson films, you would see see this. But you were talking about bring it to new people. I think... um, kids in their teens their 20s i think they could really like this because what's old new again it won't seem old to them it'll just seem kind of cool yeah and maybe protesters cool and people one. who want to kind of bash the establishment as well exactly should be everyone there's right a lot now. of that going on in this film yeah 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 well and thank you for joining us on this stream team we really appreciate you getting your eyes on the front line of what's the latest and greatest to come out on uh, Thanks for inviting platforms. me. It's fun. But before we let you go, we'd like to ask you just a little bit more about your podcast again. So could you tell us a bit more about perhaps the next episode that's coming out or the latest episode that's available? Oh, gosh, I've got so many in the can. You know, I, I did one that was kind of stranger news. It was that some weird stuff happens at Disneyland. <laughs> There's something called a code grandma where um, people will take the remains, like cremated remains of a loved one, and dump them on Disneyland. But with, like, with, without with permission. Telling them. Have you? Have you covered that? No, no. no I'm, we're I'm asking. About it. We're just I'm, asking. We're just asking. Is that with permission or without permission? Oh, without permission. Yeah. They, oh. You know, sometimes they stop rides and you yeah. don't know why. Yeah. Probably because somebody's dumped something at the. Pirates of the Caribbean ride in the water or scattered the ashes at the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So that one was really weird. 
And is that a phenomenon that's like recently started or has that been going on for a long time? Oh, while? it's been going on, but they wow. supposedly have several a month. Do they have like a policy to identify someone who's about to dump some ashes somewhere? They create a hashtag for it, Code Grandma. Yeah, that's like they call over their walkie-talkies, all the cast members. Um, I don't, I, I guess you could get thrown out. It's got to be illegal to dump stuff like that in a public place but we have stories like that and then we'll have something about i was saying, telling you before the bigfoots are supposedly in clusters <laughs> at national parks in the united states uh, i don't think they've proven that or but we've done stuff in scotland about the scariest uh, house where i don't know there's ghosts and spirits and globes of weird light so anything like that that sounds like a great podcast to get into, especially if you're a horror fan or a horror aficionado. We even do amusement park rides that accidentally break and cut off people's ankles. Oh, <laughs> that's harsh. That sounds a bit Final Destination, doesn't so it? So if you have weird stories like that, send them to me. I just need a news link. <laughs> and to send them to you, what would be the social media or hashtag links they would need to use to find you? Um, well, I scary podcasts is wherever you would download music, but we also have a website that you has a submission form at iscarystory.com. You got that tape down, Dom? I've got it. Okay. That's in a <laughs> yeah, mental notebook. That's a memory. Yeah. It's, it's, new, it's right uh, here. Recruiters for news stories. Cool, cool, cool. So thank you again, Anne Kimbro, for being on our show and being part of our stream team. You guys are great. I appreciate it. Cool, cool. And thank you, King Dom, for blessing us with your royal presence once again. Always good to be here. And thank you again for all of our listeners for making your ears available to this podcast once more. Stream team and all of our stream team segments can be found through the hashtag S-T-R-E-A-M-T-E-A-M that's hashtag stream team if you just want to find another Geek Sweat episode and jump in wherever you want just look for us as G-E-E-K-S-W-E-A-T which is the podcast for filmmakers and film enthusiasts ciao for now